0: Now, for those of you who don't qualify, there is still the 10% off using the code BTS10, Behind the Shield 10, for a one time purchase. Now, to learn more about Thorne, go to episode 323 of the Behind the Shield podcast with Joel Totoro and Wes Barnett. Welcome to the Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing, and this week it is my absolute honor to welcome on the show one of the founding members of the Broken Lizard Troupe. Star of Super Troopers, Beerfest, Tacoma FD, and so many more firehouse favorites, Kevin Heffernan. So, in this conversation, we discuss a host of topics from his early life, his journey into the world of law, the story how he met Steve Lemmy, the formation of Broken Lizard, Super Troopers, Beerfest, how they brought Quasi to the streaming services how his cousin was a big influence on the creation of Tacoma FD, overcoming censorship, and so much more. Now, before we get to this incredible conversation, as I say every week, please just take a moment, go to whichever app you listen to this on, subscribe to the show leave feedback, and leave a rating. Every single five-star rating truly does elevate this podcast, therefore making it easier for others to find. And this is a free library of almost 900 episodes now. So all I ask in return is that you help share these incredible men and women's stories so I can get them to every single person on planet Earth who needs to hear them. So with that being said, I introduce to you Kevin... Heffernan. Enjoy. Well, Kevin, I want to start by saying firstly, thank you to Eric Skullhands. Stolhansky, I'll just start on his name then, for uh, connecting (laughs) us and uh, to welcome you onto the Behind the Shield podcast today.
1: Yeah, he's a fellow Floridian to you, isn't he? He is, yes. And um, yeah, no, he put us together, which is great, which is great.
0: Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, thank you. I mean, obviously, the timing is perfect. Um, You know, we were Gonna be connected a little while ago, but now with Tacoma FD just being on Netflix as well, um, there couldn't be a better time, I think, for this conversation. So I always tell people it's not if, it's when, and you know, when the time is right, it'll happen, so here we are.
1: Yeah, no, I know, it's it's been a good couple of weeks, we've been on, uh, the show's been on Netflix for a couple of weeks now, and a lot of people are finding it, so this is a nice, this is a good time to
0: talk, man. 100%, all right, well, very first question, where on planet Earth are we finding you today? I'm in Los Angeles. Um, I live in Los Angeles, so um, I was just on the East
1: Coast for the holidays, and I got out of there right ahead of the blizzards, so I, I made it back to sunny Los Angeles, thank goodness.
0: So where about in LA are you living?
1: Uh, I live out in the valley. I live um, kind of, I don't know, about half an hour out of town, and um, uh, it's nice because we, we shot our show out here, so it ended up being uh, a good place for me to live near near the near the location of our show, so
0: beautiful i lived um, in burbank for a while and then uh huntington beach when i worked for anaheim fire
1: okay yeah i'm on the other side uh in the thousand oaks area
0: okay so, gotcha yeah, yeah beautiful well i would love to start at the very beginning of your timeline so we can learn a little bit about your backstory so tell me where you were born and tell me a little bit about your family dynamic what your parents did how many siblings
1: okay uh i grew up in connecticut west haven connecticut which is just west of new haven connecticut and, um, uh, I have, uh, two brothers and a sister and, uh, my parents, uh, my dad was a kind of a local lawyer. He was a loyal a lawyer for many years and, uh, and a judge actually. And, uh, so he was a judge for about 30 years in my hometown, 28 years. And, um, and so, yeah, so I just grew up in Connecticut, pretty normal, you know, childhood. And, um, I ended up going to Colgate university, uh, in upstate New York and, um, and that's where I met, um, all the other fellas that, you know, we made these broken lizard movies with super troopers and beer fest. And we started, you know, doing comedy there. And, um, and from there, you know, uh, we moved to New York city and just started making comedy. And, uh, at the time I wasn't sure if it was all going to work out. So I ended up going to law school at the same time. (laughs) And, uh, and I became a lawyer in New York city for a while. And then, uh, luckily was able to uh, shift gears into the comedy world. So, um, so I don't know. That's the, that's the, that's the grand scheme of about, you know, covering about 40 years right there for you.
0: Well, I'm going to go <laughs> back. <laughs> so let's, let's okay. talk about growing up with a dad in law. Firstly, what, what area of law was he practicing?
1: He was kind of a general practice guy. He he was the, the kind of small town lawyer that, you know, you, you know, people would hire if they had some sort of injury or workplace problem or whatever. And, and he also kind of specialized in estates, you know, very dry stuff. And, uh, it led him to be a, a a judge, uh, for, yeah, for 28 years in that, uh, in that area of estates and and that kind of thing. And, um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, we we had grown about, and I grew up, um, you know, and I think that's probably what I aspired to, was to to follow my dad's footsteps, you know? And, um, and so I, I kind of was on that track for a long time
0: did having someone in law as a parent factor into you being more careful when you were a teenager and not getting into too much trouble? (laughs) It's funny. We we would hear stories and I'll talk about my, my older
1: cousin, this guy named cousin Bill, who's a firefighter was a firefighter for 30 years in my hometown. And he was much more of a troublemaker. And we'd hear stories about my dad going down and bailing him out of jail. And, uh, and it made me think that maybe I should, uh, keep myself in order so yeah i mean we, we tried to let that be a, a thing that kept us in line um and uh sometimes it didn't work out but you know uh we try to stay on the stage straight and narrow
0: now what about sports what were you playing when you were school age
1: um i don't know we kind of did it all you know we, we uh, i played hockey and baseball i played football played basketball and um you know kind of the the big four or whatever and so uh you know I, we played in those leagues as kids and little league and Pop Warner football and you know all that kind of stuff and and we did that all the way up through high school so it was kind of very um, you know straightforward. I was never that great at any of them, <laughs> you know. I was uh, you know moderately okay, and uh, but you know it was that was the kind of way that you engage with other people and had fun with your friends and that kind of thing.
0: When I was little, I was very small, had a blonde afro buck teeth, dry skin, <laughs> and spoke differently than a lot of the kids because I went to a private junior school and then a, a like a state school, you know, the public senior school. Yeah. And so was constantly having to be a bit of a chameleon and definitely became a bit of a sniper when it came to saying funny shit. I wasn't the class yeah. clown or anything, but comedy became kind of an armor for me, I think, when I look back. And a lot of the people that I've had on the show – that ended up in comedy. There was, you know, more often than not, an element of bullying or, or low self esteem when they were younger, and that comedy kind of came out of that. When you look back now, is there any of that genesis on your story?
1: I don't know. I, I think there probably was a little bit. I was always a heavy kid, you know, so I was always a little fat kid, who's the, uh, you know, the kid who's always tends to be the the jokester. Um, but I don't. Yeah, I don't think like you. I don't think I was necessarily the class clown. Um, you know, it was. Um, but you know, I, I definitely gravitated towards like the funny stuff and the wisecracking, and you know, I always enjoyed you know watching comedy and that kind of stuff as a kid. I don't think that I fill the role of like tortured uh, artist or <laughs> or bullied kid that turned to comedy. I don't, I don't, I don't really fit that role. I don't think. I, I think I was just, you know, you know, Steve Lemmy, my partner uh, in crime in Tacoma. It, you know, we always talked about the. Uh, the traditional funny fat guy and i was like the little funny fat kid probably is what
0: it came to. <laughs> well what about career aspirations i know you ended up in law was that what you were dreaming of becoming yeah. when you were in school or was that something else
1: i think so i mean I, I think i was always on the track you know i worked in um a few different law firms and things like that it sounds very it's very unsexy but i uh you know i i think i was definitely on track for that and um and, uh, but in the back of my mind, you know, I always enjoyed, you know, performing and, you know, I'd done plays and stuff like that. And, uh, um, you know, and when I got into college, you know, we started doing some comedy shows and that, that really kind of clicked for me. And so, um, I think by the time we got to college, I don't know that we ever, uh, uh realized it would go where it did, but by the time we got into college, I think, you know, you're hoping that that's the direction you could go in, you know? And I, you know, so I did dual paths, you know, I, when when we were in New York City as a as a young comedy group and doing shows, you know, by day I would go to law school, and by night we would do comedy shows, you know, and uh, just you know see which track won, you know.
0: I was watching uh, an interview. I think it was uh, a ABC or one of one of the TV stations, anyway. Um, and you were on with Steve. I think it was promoting uh, Tacoma, if I'm not mistaken but the origin story of how you met that involved a party in an overcoat. So I, I yeah. think uh, I'd love to hear that story if you're able to recall it.
1: Well, Steve Lemmy is, is kind of a, a rake, you know, he's always kind of a, a an impish kind of guy. And, um, and uh, he was a year younger than I was um, at school. And uh, so, you know, I, I was a member of this fraternity house, and uh, he was a freshman uh, below us who was trying to get into the fraternity house. And, you know, we would have this, and I had never met the kid before, and um, we would have these parties at this fraternity house, and it was an upstate New York, so it was very cold. Everyone would show up in their winter coat. Everyone would take their winter coat off, and they throw it in the middle of the floor, and then they go party or whatever, you know? And so one night, there's a party, and I, I went <laughs> to the pile to grab my coat to go, and um, my coat was gone. It was missing. Somebody stole it, you know, which happened occasionally, but I was pissed off because it was freezing out, and, uh, you know, I, I lost it. And so I went a couple of weeks without my coat and then there was another party and I saw my coat in that pile you know and I was like holy shit there's my coat and uh I went I I grabbed it and I reached inside of it and the guy apparently who was the thief who stole my coat had left his college ID in the pocket of the coat <laughs> and I pulled it out and it said Stephen Carlos Lemmy and I was like who is this guy you know and uh Somebody said, oh, he's a freshman. He's trying to get into the fraternity and whatever. And he's, up, he's in the other room dancing, you know. And I was like, oh, boy. So I went up to him and um, I said, hey, buddy, you stole my coat. He said, no, I didn't. I said, yeah, I found your ID inside the coat. And he went, oh, my God, the same guy that stole your coat must have been the guy who stole my ID. <laughs> and uh, I thought that was a great response um, and, uh, from then, from that point, that was the first time we kind of met and then ultimately we were thrown into this comedy group together and, uh, we just kind of hit it off and started writing stuff together, but it was not a, an auspicious beginning to our career. Cause I, I hated him. I didn't like the guy, you know, and, uh, you know, I've come to like him a little bit over
0: the years. <laughs> so how did you get over that though? Because I mean, at one point, you know, this, all, the only thing you know about this guy is that he's a thief and now you put well, in this group together. Out.
1: It's funny because we, because we had started this comedy group in college. Jay Chandler Sychar, uh was one of the guys, was the guy I started with. And ultimately, you know, he went on to direct Super Troopers and, and, and we did our, our group together. We still have our group. But so Jay and I kind of started that group, that comedy group at school. And um, Jay really wanted to have Steve be a part of it. And I was like, I'm not putting that guy in this thing. You know, the guy's a thief. Uh, you know, I don't like him. You know, uh, he's got long hair and earrings. I don't like that. You know, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> And, uh, he's like, ah, well, you know what? We'll take, we'll get him in there. He can play like the scumbag roles. You know, he can play like the, uh, the, uh, you know, the, the guys who were, you know, you don't really like that much. And I was like, ah, okay. And so we, I let him, you know, I said, that's okay. He can come in. And so he joined. And then from there though, you know, we actually are, are, are have a very similar sense of humors and, and things that we like. We became, you know, great friends at that point. Cause we were kind of thrown in this thing together. And, um, and from then on, we just kind of, you know, had a great time writing things together. We would write sketches together for the two of us to star in and, or to, you know, act in or whatever. And it kind
0: of just ended up growing from there. And what about Eric? When did he first come on your radar?
1: Eric was, um, Eric was a, also a year uh, below us. And um, and I didn't even know him that well. He came into our comedy group the second year. And, uh, but he was also a member of our fraternity. And, um, uh, and he, he. I knew him as a member of the attorney before I knew him as like a performer, but he was kind of a theater guy. And, um, you know, he came into the group and he used to do this like funny, like ridiculous, like lizard character or something. And, you know, we, we would, we made, like we would shoot videos of it and stuff. And, um, and so, you know, he joined us the second year. Uh, and then when we moved to New York city, um, he has another year of school. And after that, he came and joined us in New York city. And uh, and lived with a, lived on our couch or whatever. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean that was you know that was in the uh in the early nineties. So you know we've been together for a long time.
0: Do you get angry again now that long hair and earrings are back in fashion?
1: No, no, <laughs> I, I, you know, <laughs> I I love you know my kids got long hair and I you know I don't I love the I I like Lemmy's long hair. I just like to give him shit about it because <laughs> he had a very New Yorky look, you know, he had a, he had, you know, long hair and like multiple earrings and he would wear like this suede coat with tassels on it that he would walk around town on. And you're like, are you kidding me, pal? Uh, but it, it, on the inside, I, I actually really liked his look. <laughs>
0: So, what about the the kind of genesis of the style of comedy that you guys ended up creating? Because I mean, you know, I'm obviously grown up with Monty Python and some of these other yeah. more obscure comedians, and that's, you know, embedded in British culture. But when it comes to the fire service, Super Troopers, Beer Fest, some of these films that you ended up making were absolute firehouse favorites, and I'm sure you heard that many, many times. Yeah, yeah. So when you're surrounded by you know, the the spectrum of comedy from the super cheesy sex is like baseball, stand up comedian all the way through to the obscure. How did you guys find the area that you created?
1: You know, I I think part of it was just this group dynamic that we had and that, like, you know, a a lot of the goals at the time was to make each other laugh and what it was to make each other laugh. And I think everyone drew on whatever they came from. You know, I mean, I think, you know, at the time, you know, You know, certainly, you know, we grew up on, you know, early SNL and we grew up on, um, you know, the John Landis movies, you know, uh, uh, like the Blues Brothers or, you know, or those Lampoon movies or, you know, uh, you know, Animal House and stuff like that. I I think those were kind of the things that informed us. And a lot of it was like a group of people, a group of usually guys uh, together, you know, having a good time, making each other laugh. And that was always something that we kind of. Focused on, I feel like. I mean, another kind of thing I I think that we always kind of focused on, in that vein, was 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 that idea of creating worlds where um, or situations where the people who were watching the audience felt like they were a part of something or that they wanted to belong to something. And um, you know, it was never we were never a mean spirited group. We were never you know targeting people or whatever it was. It was more of like let's create this environment where we're all going to have some laughs together because that's what we're doing anyway. Right. We're that group of college guys who are like, you guys are funny. You should make a movie. And then we actually did make a movie, you know? Um, And so I don't know. I think it was that kind of like good natured camaraderie and, and, and those are the kind of comedies we liked. And that's the common comedy we decided to make, you know?
0: What about naysayers? There's a lot of people that are very successful now and they had to navigate so many people saying, "Ah, you'll never because, you know, what were the what was the resistance that you were getting from some of the other people in your arena?"
1: Well, I mean, I think you certainly get that from, you know, to a certain extent from parents and things like that who think, you know, you know, maybe it's a little bit of folly, you know, that you're you're heading down this this road and and also it's just, you know, it's a hard nut to crack, you know, it's a hard business to get into. And uh, once you get into it, it's a hard business to sustain and make a living at. And so I, I think those were the big, the kind of big naysayers were like, ah, you guys will never get anywhere, you know. And, and um, you know, I, I think it was weird because like even from our younger days, we had just enough success each time to keep us going to the next step and to keep us kind of persevering. And, um, you know, I, I think that helped us overcome the naysayers. And that we, we had, you know, a certain level of success, whether it was, hey, we got into this film festival or, hey, we sold this movie or we sold this TV idea and we just kept rolling, you know. So I, I think, um, you know, we, we ran into the normal obstacles that everyone had. But, you know, I think, I don't know if it was dumb or just persevering. We just kind of pushed our way through it all, you know.
0: I got a feeling that when you're told, oh, you'll never do that, you're probably on the right track. That means you're further yeah. enough out of the comfort zone to challenge the way people think.
1: Absolutely. You're like, "Oh yeah. Okay, fine." You know. Um and again, you know, it's also you know, we were so lucky to have a support group. You know what I mean? It's like so many people try to jump into this business and they're alone or whatever it is. We walked into this business with, you know, four of our best friends that we've known for many, many years and you always had that support group. Um and and you know, if you couldn't get into someone's movie or you couldn't get into someone's whatever, you just made your own with, with the guys that you had. And, and that was always the mentality.
0: So what about the origin story for your first film being about troopers?
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that was kind of weird. We, we had made a, a film before that it was called puddle cruiser and we, we had sold it. We brought it to the Sundance film festival. It was a movie we made for about 200,000 bucks and we, we shot it at our old college and it was just kind of a, a college romantic comedy. And and that was a little bit of the calling card. So we brought that uh, to a few festivals, went to the Sundance film festival back in 97 or 98. And, um, and it ended up, you know, giving us uh, a foothold, you know, we, we met a lot of people and, and so it made us feel like, Hey, we could do this. And so let's, let's make a, let's make a big movie or not a big movie, but like a real movie, you know? And so we had been batting around a couple ideas and, and um, at the same time uh, uh, it was kind of, we were at that age where like, you know, like you're in your, like your thirties or your late twenties and like all your buddies are getting married and you're going to all these weddings and stuff like that. Like I haven't been to a wedding in a long time, but there was a time where you would hit like five in a summer, you know, and I remember we would jump into Jay's car and we would drive around, you know, with five or six of us and, and go to these weddings and, you know, and occasionally we would get pulled over by the cops. And we always thought it was hysterical where, you know, these five kind of false bravado guys riding around in a car, you know, cracking jokes and whatever. And then the moment that cop walks up to the car, it's yes, sir, no, sir. Your tail is between your legs, you know. And we always thought that dynamic was really funny. And so we just started riffing and, and riffing on scenarios where that would be the case, where, you know, if you're on the cop side of it, what power did you have? What ability did you have to fuck around with the guys on the other side? And, you know, I, I think we just started writing almost like sketches, you know, like, if, what if they did this? What if they did this repeater game? And what if, you know, the cops were trying to say meow all the time? You know, whatever. We had all these ideas and we just kind of started writing these scenes. And then we started stringing them together, you know, uh, with a plot. And, I, you know, I don't think any of us ever expected the the success that it would have or how it would resonate with people. But, you know, it was basically a, a, a series of of cop sketches. And I think that kind of the unique thing was we were on the side of the cops, you know, and, um, and that, and, and cops loved that. I mean, the whole kind of law enforcement community, guys in uniform loved that, you know, uh, the military guys, everybody, um, that you were showing that these guys were human and that they had, you know, they had liked to have fun and they were good natured people and that kind of stuff. And I, I think, you know, that was probably the thing that, that resonated. And then it just kind of slowly took off. You know, we, we made that movie. We didn't necessarily know what we are doing. Um, we brought that to the Sundance Film Festival and then we sold that there and it was put in theaters, which to us was like, holy crap, what? <laughs> you know? And it just, it just kind of took off from there. It was, a, it was a little of a slow burn in the sense that, you know, a lot of people didn't go to the theater and watch that movie. You know, you watch that in your on DVD and you watch that in your dorm room and you watch that with your buddies or you watch the guy, you know, in the barracks or you watch it in the, you know, uh, in the fire station or whatever it was. And, um, and then it just kind of grew from
0: there, you know, what about technical advisors? I had, um, Dale die on, he's actually coming back on again cause they've just made a oh, sequel to band Great. of brothers and amazing. I, yeah, actually, yeah. I worked with him. I did stunts for a long time. So I worked with him doing, uh, like a little prep boot camp for a stunt show that I did years ago in Japan. Um, okay. but he obviously prepares these actors for serious drama role, you know, dramatic roles and playing the soldier properly. Um, how much technical advising did you have for Super Troopers? Did you, did you did you kind of inquire in that community, or did you do it more blind?
1: No, I mean, like I remember, like a funny moment. It's like we, you know, like I said, we just kind of wrote these sketches, and and um, we didn't have a whole lot of technical. Like uh, Tacoma, we we really kind of like you know crossed our T's and dotted our eyes with technical stuff. But I think then we didn't know. And i remember one like funny incident where um i think it was like the first or second day we were shooting and we were on this highway and we shut down the highway and um to shoot and to do that you had to have you know local police officers come and do that for you and and some state and so we had you know some some state troopers there and some local police officers and they started kind of arguing over who you know was going to be in charge of this you know the highway and closing it down and opening it up and whatever and we thought that was great and and we started talking to those guys and we started asking them questions and you know really we started filling stuff in on the fly you know from the guys who were on our set uh just to shut down traffic and we're like what about this and how does this happen And what do you do with the ro-? and then you know once it's the same way with the firefighters once you start them talking you know they have a hundred stories you know they have a story about the rookie and what they did to this guy and the prank they pulled on that guy and um. And so that was a really kind of on the fly technical advisor stuff where we were talking to the cops who were on the set because <laughs> we didn't I mean, I don't, we didn't know any better at that point. You know, we put together a certain, you know, shoestring budget and just went there with some cameras and started shooting that movie. But uh, I mean, luckily, I think, you know, I mean, there's plenty of stuff in there that doesn't fly. But I think, you know, luckily, uh, the cops didn't necessarily call bullshit on us because they they enjoyed the movie so much. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it wasn't a documentary. <laughs> yeah.
1: How oh, will we try very hard to to not let people go bullshit on us or to av- avoid that at least so
0: absolutely <laughs> well what about beerfest your last name is heffernan do you have yep. German ancestry was that somewhat of an inspiration for it or was it completely detached
1: no I'm, it's all i it's all Irish for me you know uh yeah no i i beerfest was it was um you know, we came out. Of, we made a movie called Club Dread after Super Troopers, and it was a it was a bomb. You know, and I, I love that movie, but it it failed. It flopped. You know, and we were criticized. You know, we were criticized for being sophomoric, and you know, you know, liking fart jokes and whatever it is. You know, that that kind of stuff where you get you get knocked for you know maybe low little low, lowbrow humor or whatever it was. And um, and so Beerfest was a reaction to that. It was kind of like, oh, you think that we're sophomoric? You, you think we're you know whatever frat boys or whatever. Let's make a movie called Beerfest, you know. And uh, we had gone on a tour um, to Australia for Super Troopers, the original Super Troopers. And um, and you know a, a tour in Australia is very different than a t- tour in, in here. You know, it's a it's a it's a much you know kind of more raw and uh, you know. Raucous uh, movie uh, tour, you know. So we would go to a lot of beer gardens, and we would go to a lot of uh, bars, and you know, whatever. Show up there in uniform, <laughs> whatever it was. <laughs> and I remember we were at a beer garden, and um, and what they decided the promotion would be is that we would get up on stage, the five of us, and we'd chug beers against five local Australian guys. And so um, and we're like, "All right, let's do it, whatever." So they call us up on stage. And there were these five guys who were like at a bachelor party at this beer garden in this big crowd outside this outside garden. And they pulled these five guys up on stage and they said, all right, you know, we're going to do a line chug against these guys. And it's going to be a boat race. It's going to be a race, you know. And so we started the, the race and the crowd went crazy. Like it was like yelling anti-American shit. <laughs> <laughs> You know, whatever it was, like this fervent, like people were rooting for their guys so hard that uh, ultimately they had to take us off after the thing, and we lost. And they took us off the stage, and they put us in a van and had to, you know, get us out of there because it was, it was this raucous thing. And we thought that was one of the funniest things we'd seen, and one of the coolest things we'd seen. And that was the genesis for that beer fest idea. It was like, oh my god, what if we made this nationalistic? Olympic competition of beer drinking and the fans are drunk and everyone's crazy and whatever. So that, that was the kind of, this Australian trip was the genesis for that idea. Uh, and then in response to, you know, us being criticized <laughs> for being sophomoric, we decided, let's make this movie. And, um, you know, it, it had kicked around a little bit. We tried a different couple of different places. And then ultimately, um, Jay, uh, Chandrasekhar had directed, uh, the remake of the Dukes of Hazzard. Um, And he did that for Warner brothers and it was a success for them. And in response, they, they said, well, you guys can go make beer fest. And so we made that on a shoestring budget. And that was, you know, one of the most fun, you know, movies that we ever made, you know, it's uh, you know, we, we had those German bad guys and we got, you know, some real kind of bodybuilder guys. And we got some great comic guys like Will Forte, Nat Faxon, Eric Christian Olsen, and they played the bad guys. And, we got, you know, guys like Donald Sutherland in there. And, uh, you know, it was just it was just a really fun, fun movie to make. And, you know, I think that resonated with a whole other group of people. You know, it's like you meet people and it depends on what their age is. But, you know, some people are Super fans. Some people are Beer Fest fans. Um, but I mean, th- that was a great it was a great experience to make that movie. And it, again, that was a movie that did not succeed at the time in the box office, but since has had this huge life. Uh, kind of afterwards that people connect
0: with. I, I wrote a book three years ago, and and when you release the book, you're like, oh, it needs to be a success now. And then you have a realization that you made it. It doesn't matter when it takes yeah. off, as long as it's out there. And, and listen to the, the story about Band of Brothers again. They released it in 2001, and then 9-11 happened. So it didn't really yeah. have that, you know, the all eyes on it at that point. And it was actually the 10-year anniversary when most of us really learned about band of brothers and it really took off and that was 10 years later
1: yeah yeah it just takes you know the time and the problem is there's so much fervor and so much weight placed on uh, the release time of things whether it's a tv show or a book or a movie or a song or whatever it is and then you forget that you're still putting that thing out into the world and people are you know people are going to discover it and that's been the case with every one of our projects every one of them and it, you know, Super Troopers was like, you know, three years after the movie came out, we're walking down the street in New York City and some guy comes running out of a bar and he's like, you're the Super Troopers guys. And we're like, uh, yeah, come on, let me buy you some beers, you know? And that was, <laughs> that way, That kind of stuff didn't happen until years after Super Troopers came out, you know? And, um, and it's the same thing with Beer Fest, it's the same thing with, um, we just made a movie called Quasi, which came out on Hulu last year. And. We wrote that movie 20 years ago, and uh, it just takes a while. (laughs) But ultimately, if it's good or if, you know, you have a fan base or whatever, they'll discover it,
0: you know. So what was your experience going from... the regular movies to the streaming service. I think when Eric came on, it was literally right before quasi. And it was funny. I was literally talking, walking with my wife a few days ago and we were laughing about the rack scene. How every, every scene he gets taller and taller and taller. And, you know, there's that, that (laughs) sense that, you know, people on the rack before they they get ripped apart, they probably feel really fucking good. Right. (laughs) You know, they'll decompression before (laughs) I die. (laughs) So, so what was that experience like? Because some people have had on the show, obviously there's, there's a, negative side to the streaming and the royalties yeah. and that kind of thing but what made you guys make the leap to that and what has been your experience so far
1: well i, I think it was a it was really a function of it was a, a result of the circumstances you know it's like obviously that that was coming down the, the line you know it's like it it's so expensive uh, to put movies in movie theaters now um and to, to kind of crack into that market. And, and I think the you know, the companies are realizing that And it was the pandemic. I think that really brought that to fruition, you know, where nobody was going to the movies and they, you know, they realized, God, we better get these services farther along. And, um, you know, that they realized that maybe there was more of a life uh, with people sitting on their couch, you know, and, um, and I get it, you know, maybe, you know, there are certain elements of uh, in the film world where it's not, it's, consider it's prestigious or it's more of an event to go out to the movie theater. And I I understand that. I mean, from our circumstances was we made that quasi deal uh, to be in the movie theaters. And then when the pandemic hit, there were no movie theaters. You know, they were closing them down and they didn't know what the future of it was either. You know, they never knew if they were going to come back. And so you didn't really have a choice at that point, you know, and the company said that came to a searchlight and they said, you know, look, we have this deal with Hulu. There are no movies in movie theaters right now. Do you guys want to convert your deal, and we'll make it a streaming deal, and you guys can make the movie? And at the time, we were kind of like, "Hey, look, h- however it works, you know, however we can get this seen by people, we're, we're great with it." And um, so, you know, I, I think we were, you know, we had to make that decision at that point in time. And you know, it's the t- it's the Tacoma stuff to me that's made me realize that the, you know, the most important thing for me you know, we, we tell funny stories and the most important thing is for as many people to laugh at that as you can, or uh, just spread it. And, you know, the streaming has become the way to do that. And and we're finding that with Tacoma is that it's a way to reach more people, you know, and, um, you know, we, we don't make superhero movies and we don't make huge blockbuster movies. Um, and, and so that seems to be the way to reach the people these days. So I, you know, I, I'm totally fine with it. You know, however they watch it, I I love that people are watching Tacoma on Netflix right now. I think it's great. And, um, and, you know, you hear from people and fans, people discovering it. So, yeah, I mean, it was a weird experience for quasi because you were used to um, the buildup to opening weekend, right? Everything's about opening weekend. And then Monday morning, whether it's, you know, a failure or a success, the, the, the balloon, the air is out of the balloon on Monday morning. You know what I mean? It's like, there's two days, three days and then you're done. Uh, the streaming stuff's not like that. You know, it's, it's, uh, you know, it has a life. Uh, and I really like that about Tacoma. I liked it about quasi too. I mean, quasi had a nice run for like three, four months on Hulu. Um, and it did quite well, you know, uh, I, I think that's the better side of the streaming thing. Um, but you know, It's also just just the future, you know, (laughs) it's not streaming. I don't know that it's going to go away, you know, and I don't think that theatrical movies are going to go away. You just have to figure out how to make them cost effective, you know.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's funny when you when you publish a book on Amazon, which is what I did. I think everyone is the number one bestseller for like a day. (laughs) It doesn't matter what you've written and how many people buy it. You're a number one seller. And then all of a sudden you're actually, you know, book number 27,000, whatever, and it is. Yeah. and that, But then you just kind of reframe it and go, you know, it's out there now. And I think that's what's good about streaming as I can watch it today or I can watch it a year or five years from now. But there's two points in life. You haven't seen it and then you've seen it. So does it have to yeah. be the day it come, at, come out or is it 10 years from now? When when as an artist, as long as that person hopefully sees your work or reads your book or you know whatever it is when is kind of irrelevant yeah
1: i mean two years from now someone's going to read your book for the first time you know they're going to love it oh you know it's not going to matter that you know came out on april 13th or whatever yeah i mean yeah when it was the
0: number one bestseller by the way
1: (laughs) yeah and that's what i think that's what tv has taught me because you know movies become so precious about building to a date and all that kind of business and (laughs) and if you don't build that day, it's like somebody died. You know, I remember getting calls, uh, you know, Monday morning after like club dread came out or whatever. And they're like, we're so, so sorry. You know, and you're like, what, what because We do. We, we made this or whatever. And it's like, Oh, and it was like, you know, it was like, you know, somebody in your family had died, you know, and you're like, well now <laughs> they're going to be able to, to discover that thing, you know, and then able to watch it. And you know, the movie begets movies, you know? So, People who are Broken Lizard fans watch Tacoma and people who are Tacoma fans go back and watch the Broken Lizard
0: movies now. And, you know, I think it all works out for the best for us. I mean, I don't know. Well, you made some very unique films. Um, I think we're about the same age, roughly. I'm at a point now where I yearn for new stories. They've rehashed so many stories. They remade, you know, the films from our childhood, the Karate Kids and all these things over and over and over again. Um, What is your... Kind of perspective on the audience these days. I can't help but feel like people are yearning either for more, you know, true stories, or I mean, obviously, you know, the, the reflection of real people like Tacoma, you know, in the real profession, or you know, brand brand new stories, or um, you know, th- more raw stories. I think that's another thing. I think that, as you said, the superhero has just been milked to death now. Marvel and DC have squeezed every single penny out of those stories. Star Wars franchise. So, to me. A film has to be worthy of someone taking their children, spending yeah. $80, $100, you know, on sitting in a movie theater. So um, I, I don't know. I, just, I don't even know if there's any question in there. But what is your perception now on what the audience wants in 2023?
1: That's why the, the world is so, you know, the, 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 the industry is so weird now, you know, because it's like you do have to justify. And you have to justify up your corporate ladder, how, you know, why someone's going to go to that movie theater or why someone's going to watch your material. And, um, you know, that's why, you know, we're in this stage right now. And it'll shift, I think, but they're in the stage now. It's that there has to be. And they told us this when we put, you know, Super Troopers 2 out in the movie theaters. It was like going to the movie theater has to be an event now. It has to be an event. Right. It has to be, hey, it's not just, you know, hey, let's go catch this little film. It's like we got to go see the new this and we got to go see the movie that this person's in. And that's. And whether that's what America or the viewing public wants or whatever it is, that's just the way the corporate mentality of it is, right? So you have to overcome that. Uh, And and sometimes you can, sometimes you can't. You know, when we made Quasi, our feeling was, you know, this is a kind of a different weird movie for us. You know, it's not something that people have seen us in or whatever. And um, we're not going to get anyone to bite on putting this, taking a chance to put this in the movie theaters, right? Uh, Probably our best chance is to get some streamer to to put some money up on it and and do it, you know? And, you know, I I guess my feeling is that, uh, I still go back to that thing that I said that I think the I think people want to be a part of something, you know, I think people want, uh, to watch something and, um, connect with it and be like, Hey, that's like me. Or that's, you know, that, character is like, and I've been through that, you know, to me, I still think that's the best driver of entertainment. And I think, you know, when we make Tacoma, we keep that in our mind where it's like, we pull real life stories of, Hey, that happened to me. And, you know, I hate moisturizer or whatever
0: it is <laughs> <I like mayonnaise.
1: laughs> get in there and people, you know, connect with that. And I think that's what, you know, make people want to watch it. I, I still believe that that's the driver. And so that's kind of where we go, but I, I don't know if the industry believes that. And I, you know, Yes, it's easier to put Aquaman on a poster and, you know, get people to come out to watch it than to put, you know, when, when we made Super Troopers, uh, the poster for Super Troopers, uh, they put us upside down on the poster because we were completely, nobody knew who we were and they didn't want you to think that they were no, nobodies in a movie. So they put us upside down so you couldn't recognize who's on the poster, you know? And um, I think that still exists kind of today, but, uh, you know, I I, I don't know, it, it's... It's cyclical, I think, you know, like it'll come back to people are liking this kind of a movie and then, you know, there'll be another surge of superhero movies and then there'll be another surge of whatever and, you know, zombie movies or whatever it is. Um, but at its heart, you know, I just kind of stick with the fact that I think I think people want to connect personally with things. So however that happens, you know,
0: Absolutely. we do it through that hundred percent. Yeah, which is how you connect in the fire service, too. You know, I mean, we see horrible yeah. stuff and laughter is the way that we connect and decompress.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, we've talked to a lot of guys about that. And they're like, hey, you should do a story about this. We can't do a story about that in this show. <laughs> it's a little dark. Pressing and dark and, you know, whatever. Uh, but, you know, we can take this and make a spin on it and have fun with it
0: well speaking of that then so you mentioned cousin bill walk me through yeah. you know your experience with him when you were young and and your perception of the fire service however that was um and then how that factored into the creation of to- tacoma fd
1: yeah i mean well it, you know in my hometown it was always kind of like a family business you know and um my cousin was there and and there were always like families you know that that had people in the fire. and it was fathers and brothers and cousins and and they were on the local fire department and if you're You know, kid had something stuck in their throat. You'd walk him down to the fire department in in the corner and they'd get the thing out of his throat or whatever it was. You know, it was a very kind of like community oriented, you know, uh, uh, operation. And and that was something that we always loved. And as we were trying to make the show, it goes back to kind of what I was saying about what you connect with, is that we pitched this show as a family show because a firehouse is a family. You're, You're there 24 hours a day with the guys on your shift. You sleep with them. You eat with them. Um, and then at the same time, there are families within where there's cousins and brothers and fathers and you know, daughters and whatever in the service together. And that was a big um, uh, attraction to the idea for us, because that's I think, that, again, like I said, that's how people connect with it. You know? And so, you know, we we were batting around these ideas, Lemmy and I. And, um, you know, my cousin Bill always been a fan of our stuff. And he would always say to us, hey, you think cops are funny? come talk to me when you want to do a firefighter thing, because firefighters are way more funny than cops are. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, okay. And so, um, you know, Lemmy and I were kicking around this idea, um, and part of it was self-serving in the sense that, you know, uh, uh, we wanted to – we'd spent many years, you know, writing different TV shows and trying to get TV shows on the air, and it's a tough nut to crack, and, and we've tried to do it for a long time. And um, we've constantly come up with ideas about, you know, what we can – capitalize on what people like of us and whatever. And it's like, Hey, people like our mustaches and people like us being in uniforms. And let's talk about a firefighter show. And, um, and we were actually, we were in Tacoma at the comedy club doing a comedy show one weekend, just Lemmy and I, and, uh, it was raining out and whatever. And we are like, you know, we pretty funny firefighter show premise is that you put the show in the rainiest city in the country and then you can create the idea that like super troopers where there's not a lot of traffic, so you can have some fun. There's not a lot of fires in the rainiest city, so you can probably have a lot of fun. And so we were kind of batting that idea around and we went to cousin Bill and we were like, Hey, we're thinking about it. Cause that's a great idea. You know, I got, you know, these stories and we just started kind of talking to him and kind of building the world out a little bit and trying to make this family feel, you know, you know, of the show and guys who like to have fun. And, and, you know, uh, it, it was funny because it, it was a an inauspicious beginning with the real Tacoma Fire Department. Um, you know we were uh we had announced at the show we were going to make the show, and we were um we were in Seattle, and we were doing Lemmy and I were doing comedy shows in Seattle, and um, the owner of the club uh came back um, the owner of the club came to the backstage. And he said, Hey, there are a bunch of Tacoma firefighters out there and they want to talk to you. And we're like, Oh shit. What? <laughs> <laughs> and so um, after the show, we went out and we met with these guys and there's like, you know, seven or eight guys. And, um, and they're like, Hey, we heard your, we heard you want to make a show about the Tacoma fire department. And we're like, yeah, 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 yeah. We, uh, we're going to make that show. And like, and what the joke is that it's always rainy. So we don't work. <laughs> and We were like, no, no, no. I was like, listen, we work very hard, as hard as any fire department. And we're like, we, I know, we know. And, uh and so we kind of, we, we talked to him for that. Like, we, we said, we're not going to, you know, we're going to make you look bad. We're going to make you look good. And, uh you know, look at super troopers, you know, that's what we're going for. And they and finally at the end, this guy, you know, one guy said, okay, all right, fine. And then the guy reached into his pocket and he pulled out a business card. He said, uh if you need a technical consultant, uh, I'm willing to help you out. <laughs> Thank you very much. And, um, and we ultimately, um, you know, ended up making, you know, obviously making the show and and ended up having a very good relationship with those guys. Um, But, you know, in the beginning, I think fire, you know, the firefighters were a little nervous that um, we were going to make them bumbling idiots, you know, and uh, that was never our intention. It was always like, Hey, let's make a world, uh, you know, very similar to super troopers where you want to hang out with those guys. They're good at their jobs, but when they're, they have downtime, as firefighters have, you know, they're having fun, and having a good time, and giving each other shit, that kind of thing.
0: So, cousin Bill was also a fire historian. Have I got that right?
1: Yeah, he's a, he was kind of like the the local fire historian. He retired last year, and so he's kind of taken that on. Um, That's one of his jobs he's taken on now, where he's uh, uh, he's kind of the the official historian of the local fire department, and you know, he's got all kinds of great stuff, and you know. He's the kind of guy who um, amasses funny stories in his head, you know, firefighter stories, which is what makes him a wealth of information for us. Um, And he also is a guy who was very much a stickler for, you know, um, authenticity, you know, like he was always kind of like, if I'm going to be on the show, my name's on the show as a technical consultant, this stuff's going to, you know, the guys who are sitting in the fire department on Thursday night watching this thing together are not going to call bullshit on us. You know, we're going to make it. You know and whatever you have to you have to do that sometimes you have to shade things you know sometimes but for the most part you know he was very aggressive about making sure that we you know we wore our equipment properly and we had the proper equipment and you know um you know and he'd make fun of us but you know we'd get figure out how to get the scbas on and you know
0: <laughs> so what does your technical training look like and did you use that guy who gave you the business card in the end
1: no we didn't use that guy although <laughs> We became friends with a lot of those guys, and I think they were very happy. We we uh, we uh, actually had a a couple episodes where they came down. A bunch of the guys from the real Tacoma firemen came down. We had a, like a firefighter ball episode, and uh, they were at the ball, and they were extras, and they we hung out with them for a few days there, and that was fun. And you know, we've done some in, earlier in in the seasons. We would do some promotional stuff up there, which is so we've got a great, they would send us stuff to put on the walls and things like that. Like real, like here's a, an ax and here's a, whatever, for, you know? And so we would, we would do that. So our, our relationship ended up being, you know, really, really great with them. Um, but the, you know, the, the technical consultant stuff that we do with Bill, you know, Bill ended up being a guy who was always on the set with us. And, um, you know, our show partly because it was low budget and partly because that was the premise. It was like, we don't really fight fires, you know, we don't, we do like one fire a season because that's all we can afford really. <laughs> and, uh, so it's more about hanging out in the station, you know? So when we did have those big, you know, shoots where we'd gear up and, and, um, and, um, you know, we'd fight a fire or whatever it was, you know, Bill was very adamant about being there, here's how you do it. Here's how you enter the building, you know, here's how you do this. And, um, you know, uh, we would spend a lot of time on that, but a lot of it was just like, you know, for Bill, it'd be like, hey, you know, uh, uh, we're on the apparatus floor, uh, you know, what's on the wall, you know, or, uh, you know, we're driving the engine, what's inside the engine, or, you know, it, it was it was kind of a lot of, you know, how is the hose, you know, packed, and, you know, <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of stuff like that, uh, and then it was terminology, you know, like he would get very angry with us when we would say garage, you know, it had to be the app floor or the apparatus floor, you know, he'd get... He'd get angry at us when we would um, call superiors by their first names, you know, as opposed to captain and chief and whatever. And uh, so that was always kind of a fun, you know, and he was, um, you know, not afraid to jump in and, and say that, you know, and he, he'd get in a fight with the prop guy. And it's like, that's not the proper ladder that you would have in the situation, you know, that kind of stuff. And uh, we always got like a lot of enjoyment out of that. But in the, at the same time, you know, we meet a lot of firefighters now and say, hey, you know what, you know, I think that is you know, a very authentic feeling show to us. And um and I think it's a credit to cousin Bill, uh, for all the years he spent in the, in the department and, and helping us, you know,
0: create that sense, you know. It is really jarring when you work, and I can't imagine being a cop how many times people get it wrong, or the FBI or something like that. Oh yeah. But I oh, worked yeah. on um the World Trade Center film with Nicolas Cage and yeah. um God, I forget who directed it now. Um Oliver Stone. But I was just yeah. simply a glorified extra, that's all I was but that i'd been in in acting i became a stuntman in the end but i we got this this gig and i got a whole bunch of my anaheim firefighters onto the film but it was the other side like we had fdmy gear down to the point but when it was the final cut, we were just like shadows in the background. So the, the you yeah. know attention to detail on that point, you know, was obviously wasted on a lot of these shots. But when yeah. you see your average firefighters in a scene, oh my god, it's just it's awful because they've got yeah. everything is wrong. Everything is wrong. Even I, I, I hate to call them out this film out because one of the the guys from the film is on the show. But there's a film, Paramedic, came out recently, and yeah, this yeah, woman yeah. is doing compressions on a guy with a with a Kevlar vest still on. You know, and it's like, did you not ask anyone? Didn't you even just watch a CPR (laughs) video, American heart association for something. But yeah. So even though it's, you know, it's a comedy show by making sure all those things were right. It keeps us, which is, I'm sure there's a lot of firefighters watch the show. It keeps us engaged with the jokes rather than what the fuck is that on his back?
1: Yeah, no, uh, you know, we had a bunch of that kind of stuff. And, uh, who's the guy that does like the green screen, um, um, who does the green screen gags where they take the scenes from firefighters? Oh, movies Fire Department
0: and- Chronicles. Jason. Yeah, Fire right.
1: Yeah, Jason. Right. Jason. Uh, we use his coffee. We have his coffee as a you know as our thing. But Jason Patton. Yeah. So, um, um, uh, but Bill was always cousin. Bill was always like, I don't want to be in that green screen thing. Okay. So we're going to make sure, and then we would start making jokes about it because you know there be there was one firefighter show where I can't remember what it was, but like you know a guy gets hit by a meteor. And, uh, <laughs> and they're, they're trying to revive them. And, you know, the, the joke, uh, you get hit by a meteor, you're dead. You know, the, the, the thing's going to go through you or whatever it is, you know? And so, um, you know, we, we opened our, uh, our, our, uh, last season scene with a guy getting, with a guy getting hit by a meteor, but you find out it's a fake, you know, a fake TV show, a firefighter TV show. But we, we started to joke about what, you know, the firefighter shows would do. And um, and and then try to kind of capture that in the thing. But you know, luckily we don't. Like I said, we don't have to get super technical because we don't do a lot of you know calls and fires and that kind of stuff. You know, it's just you know what what feels authentic around the station. You know, the way we talk to each other and the and you know uh, what's you know populates our world kind of a thing. You know, and um, but I, but the firefighters I talk to, they're like that is you know they they love it because that is how they feel their station is you know what i mean they're like you know whatever it's a, it's a heightened sense of com- comic you know whatever and you know there are some episodes of ours that are just get you know very silly <laughs> but but for the most part it's that sitting around you know having your coffee and bragging on another guy you know which is what a lot of it is you
0: Absolutely. Well, it shows you know the proby jokes. Uh, the calendar episode was brilliant. The uh, testicle popping episode was <laughs> hilarious. So yeah, <laughs> but it's right. it is all all the things that we do, and again, the real dark side of what we do. And there's there's a you know huge amount of that firehouse humor, yeah. you know, dark humor um, what's the, to, gallows humor. Yeah, that is how yeah. we offload, and I think that's why films like yours are so popular in the fire service. Is just because it allows us to just you know laugh and not think about anything because if you look at the psychology of laughter it down regulates the nervous system that's why we laugh yeah. even if it's a, a dark joke
1: yeah and i and I, it's fu- it's funny because we you know we would try to every once in a while you know like like bill or somebody will come up with an idea where we, we're like ah, it's a little dark you know like but you try to find what the funny part of it is or at least what the you know the important part of it is it you know like we did an episode on kind of the ps the ptsd kind of um thing where you know you know um you know bill would always talk about how when he started on the fire department it was like suck it up you know you're a pussy don't you know whatever and then realizing that you that the firefighters see so much shit that you have to release you know and that um you know talking to people or whether it's you know therapy sessions or whatever it is becomes an important part in keeping you know mental health for the firefighters and he said that's you know, as I became a, you know, higher up the ranks, that became a very important part of of our lives and, and dealing with that issue. And we were like, well, it's hard for us to deal with that issue, because then you have to deal with what inspires that issue. And, you know, and then you don't want to get into a situation where you're making fun of it, you know, and and so the trick is, hey, how do you do the group therapy session episode without, uh, well, delivering a positive message um, and not getting too dark, you know, and because because firefighters see so much dark stuff, you know, and and um, the other kind of great thing about this is, as the show has become more successful or more people see it, firefighters reach out to us with stories, you know, and um, you know some of them are like, "Well, we find this dead guy behind a dumpster,"
0: and you're like, "Well, we can't do that. We can't do that." <laughs> I'm still waiting to find the the, the joke. Where's the joke? And to us, yes. it's hilarious. Yes. His <laughs> trousers around his ankles.
1: Yeah. <laughs> And so, you know, there are all those things. And you're like, um, and, you know, this. we found this guy. He was covered in shit. And we had to do this. And you're like, okay, we can't necessarily do that, you know. And the funny thing is trying to figure out how how to do something like that, but not, you know. So, you know, there's so, so many dark things that firefighters see. We just can't really tackle that world because
0: we're trying to keep it light and fun for people. Well, speaking of that, just as a tangent for a moment, it's been bizarre the last few years seeing the politically correct element start to put into the point where it almost squashes out everything. It's like the person who develops allergies and all they can end up drinking is water. You know what I mean? It's, it's like, yeah. that. so in the world of comedy, obviously that the parameters are exactly where you're exploring, you know, the South parks and Daniel Tosh and some of these, you know, which yeah. I think South park is hilarious because the fact that they haven't been canceled when they are, you know, literally putting pushing the walls from all areas i think maybe oh, that's yeah. the key they Those push all the walls um, yeah amazing but uh so <laughs> what about that i mean between the shows and the films and also your live comedy have yeah has there been a resistance have you found the environment changing or have you just stayed doing what you've done and, and it just keeps working
1: yeah i think mostly we say stay where we are i get it i get it that people maybe feel um that the, the, the room is shrinking a little bit or whatever. I, I don't know. I, I've always, and in the, in the guys that we work with here in, in Tacoma, it's always interesting to find how to get around those problems. I always find that to be the fun challenge. You know, it's like, I, I, I think, you know, there's definitely this feeling that, you know, that, that, that maybe people maybe are oversensitive or whatever, but I, I feel like we've been able to navigate that and still find all the funny things I think there's still plenty of funny out there. And I think there's still plenty of things that you can do. Um, And so, you know, I I know there are a lot of writers and comics and whatever kind of wring their hands about, you know, uh, you know, I'm being kind of restrained from doing what I want to do. And I guess I just never have felt that necessarily. Um, And, you know, maybe it is. Another thing I think about it is that if you are generally a good natured person, you can get away with more. You know what I mean? Like if you are a firebrand or and you are uh, known for you know throwing those bombs and whatever, people are going to focus on you. And when you do it, they're going to attack you. Uh, but like I said, our our angle has always been, hey, we're nice guys and we're good guys. And if every once in a while you throw something out there that maybe is questionable, <laughs> in you know whether you know whatever it is, um, I think people give you. Some leeway, or or at least that's what I found for us. You know, I mean, there are definitely some jokes that we have made, you know, in stand up or whatever. Like, oh boy, there's the there's where we're getting canceled. You know, it doesn't happen, and I think part of it is because you know we're not mean spirited guys. You know, so maybe that's maybe that's a good thing. I don't know. Maybe that's a, a lesson. You know?
0: <laughs> Absolutely. I did the uh, the film, like I said, I did a TV show as well, um, two TV shows on the History Channel portraying a pirate that looked like Brian May from Queen. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it was such a bizarre experience because, you know, it's so... You put, like a big wig in I the... the did, big... I did. Yeah. <laughs> and terrible line. and Add to the fact that I'm the world's worst actor as well, which is why I got into the stunts. <laughs> <laughs> but uh but then you do the live show and that's what i did most of the stunts with was live shows in in orlando and la you know buena park and all these areas um
1: right, right. we had a bunch of guys that we did that we knew who did this that stuff yeah, yeah i mean yeah. it's a
0: great on-ramp for for a lot of things but um yeah. there was no comparison when you do a live stunt show a pirate show you know a, a show in universal whatever it is you immediately get that audience reaction but then when you're yeah. on a set you know especially a huge production you know you 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 do it, and then it takes an hour to reset, and you do it again, and there's no real feedback. And I've heard a lot yeah. of people, you know, high-level actors say they have no idea how the film's going to turn out, because they're not in charge of editing or anything. So, you know, it could yeah. be amazing, it could be terrible, and they put the exact same performance on. Um, what is it that you love about the live stand-up compared to, you know, what you're putting on screen?
1: Well, I think that's the truth, is that, you know, the immediate reaction, you know what I mean? the, the There's nothing like that. You know, and, and it's like also the experimental kind of atmosphere to fix things. So like if I have five shows in a weekend, I'll try a joke out the first night. Doesn't quite work. I can change it, see if it works, you know, eight hours later, 12 hours later. If it doesn't work, I can change it. I can, you know, there, there are great things about being able to work that you can't do that in the TV show. You have to do that through editing or in the movie, you do it through editing. But the ability to do that live and to know, you know, there are jokes that people laugh at. You have no reason why they're laughing. At, you have no understanding as to why they're laughing. It's like, did they laugh at that joke? They, they Okay. And, th- and then you find those jokes that always work like that. And those are the great things about stand-up, is like when you hit those moments and you know that you have uh, automatic reaction that you're going to get, you know, it's much more of a, much more of a crap shoot in TVs and worse in movies like TV, at least you can, you can throw a shitload of jokes at the wall. You know, it's like we've done this all the time. It's like, well, you know what? If that one doesn't hit, the next one will, you know. And, you know, if that doesn't hit, then episode two, three, four, five, whatever. For a movie, it becomes very precious. I and mean, that's why you end up, you know, test screening things and, and re-editing them and stuff like that. But that's the the beauty of live comedy, is that you don't have to have that, you know? And that's all you can be much more topical or much more um, you know, uh, you can make fun of something that happened yesterday, you know, uh, you know, a a show like Tacoma, we'll put like a topical joke in it and then the world will not see it for a year. (laughs) And then that joke's bullshit. You know, it doesn't, it it doesn't mean anything. And, um, uh, you can't, you know, live comedy is so much better than that. Um, and so, you know, I I love live comedy, but I I do definitely, I love making part of why I love making the TV shows and the movies is because I I'm in all the steps, you know, it's like you make a TV show, an actor you shoot it a year ago and then you never see it. But for me, I it's every, it's my life every day. Right. So I'm in the edit room every day and I'm doing this, this, and this. And, uh, yeah, as the actor, you haven't thought about it in a year, but I have been with it the whole time and I'm crafting it and figuring out how to make it work. And so that's still very satisfying to me, you know? Um, but I, I get it why you know actors and 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 comics and stuff love love the live comedy and I like it too. I just didn't like traveling around. <laughs> like traveling around, it was the biggest pain in the ass to me of of doing live comedy. And Lemmy and I did it for ten years, you know. Um, but you know, I, I guess I if I had my druthers, I would stick with uh, making TV shows. You know, I, I love that part of it.
0: You mentioned about a lot of the stories you just couldn't make into an episode just because of the darkness or whatever. Is there one story that you've heard either from your cousin or some other firefighter that you wish you could, but you couldn't, but you can tell it here?
1: Um, I, You know, I, I don't know all the ins and outs of this story, but cousin Bill had a. He always had he wanted us to make a an episode about, I guess, it, an incident. I can't remember what parade it was. It might've been the St. Patrick's Day parade in Boston about guys going there and getting, you know, just wasted and ending up in the back of a, of a, of a police van, you know? And, uh, and he always wanted us to make like a parade episode where guys get drunk. And, and part of it was like, dude, we can't make a parade episode because we can't pay for it. Like we can't, <laughs> you know, we, you not we don't, it's too big, you know? Um, but, I, you know, there there was that thing, there were those kind of things, those kind of debaucherous kind of things, which we were, we, we tried to kind of uh, keep a little bit of a lid on. Um, uh, and then, um, yeah, I, I think the other stories were just the kind of much more traumatic stories, you know, uh, and it was like, you know, the people that you found or the people that you deal with or, um, you know... Uh, a lot of their stories were about drug dependency or people, you know, that kind of stuff, or people were strung out on this or whatever. And it just, you know, it just didn't fit in the in the world that we were trying to create, you know? Uh, so, I, you know, it was, it was more of that kind of stuff, but then there were just, you know, there were, you know, great stories that we heard that we would put in, you know, it's like, I remember we were at a firefighter event in Austin and we were meeting with a bunch of guys, having a great time talking to guys and hearing stories. And, and one guy told us a story about where he, when he was a rookie and I, we've talked about the story before, so you may have heard it, but, um, and he was, a, he was a probie and he joined the the, the shift and uh, all the guys had these tattoos and this is the guy telling us his true story. And it happened to him. All these guys had these tattoos, these like goofy tattoos that were representative of their shift. Like, I don't know, like a unicorn or whatever that was, I don't know. And they told the guy, hey, these are our shift tattoos. You have to go get this tattoo. And he was like, okay. And so he goes and he gets the tattoo. And he comes back and shows them the tattoo. And all the other guys wiped theirs off. <laughs> because it tat- they were temp tattoos. And they <laughs> made him go get this real stupid-ass tattoo on his arm. And we were like, oh, my God. That's a hell of a prank. You know, that's a thing. And so, boom, we wrote that in <laughs> the episode. <laughs> And uh and had a great kind of little runner thing about that. And um, but those are the kind of those real stories which you get from these guys uh that are perfect, you know, that fits fit so well, you know. And cousin Bill would tell us that these stories, you know, it's like I think we put it in either the first or maybe the third, I can't remember which episode we put it in, maybe the third episode. Um, you know, the the story about how uh uh you know a guy had to give mouth to mouth to a cat. <laughs> you know, it's like they rescued a cat from a they rescued a bunch of people and the cat from a burning building and the firefighters walk out and they're doing P- cpr on someone and they get a little closer and they realize the guy's trying to revive a cat <laughs> you know, and we we thought that was the greatest thing in the world we put that in an episode and you know the more you talk to the firefighters every one of them's got a hundred stories you know that are just hysterical I'm sure you have a million funny stories.
0: I'm a terrible storyteller, but they're in there. I just need someone else to tell them for me. (laughs)
1: That's what you need. Uh, And so, you know, what we were finding is like, hey, can you make a TV show out of Yeah, yeah. We got millions. We got a wealth of stories. And, you know, we still have a, you know, a document that's like, you know, 40 pages long of stories that just are so funny to us, you know, Uh,
0: and every episode has one in them. Well, you talked about discovering this other side of our profession you know the the, the the uh i guess you could say the the price of service um yeah. were you aware of that through having your cousin being in that world or was that something that started to kind of unfold as you started talking to more and more of our profession
1: oh it's definitely after the fact after they unfold you know i mean uh, i think um I didn't realize, you know, how prevalent and important it was to the community now in terms of, you know, um, you know, people's mental health and, and 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 making sure that people are OK on the job and that kind of stuff. You know, it's like, uh, you know, my cousin would tell stories about guys who committed suicide or, or guys who, uh, you know, just end up couldn't deal with it anymore. And you know, I don't don't think growing up you heard those stories, you know, I don't think you heard that that was the case. But I think now, uh, in a good way, I think that that those stories are out there now so that people can, you know, I mean, we're just actors, you know, I, 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 it's, it's amazing to think that, you know, day in and day out, these guys see these things, and they see kind of the worst things. And whether it's You know, mangled bodies in a car accident or whatever it is. You know, it's like they see the worst underbelly of of our world, and um, and it's gonna it's gonna mess with your head. You know, and I I think you know, uh, I didn't definitely definitely did not appreciate that until you know, cousin Bill kind of was bringing things to light for us and say, oh, here's what we do, and you know, here's how we deal with that, and we're trying to deal with that, and we're trying to uh, counter the old school, uh, idea or suck it up and, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, deal with it, you know, uh, that they're trying to counter that kind of mentality now, which I think is a great thing. I think, I think that's, it seems to me what's important. So, I you know, to us, it was like, let's not make fun of that. Let's not, you know, let's support that and, 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 um, you know, maybe put like a, a kind of a fun or I know, if you can put a fun spin on something like that, then that's what you try to do, I guess. You know. Um, but I don't know. Do you, do you find I me mean, like, do you find that that's changed in your career? Like over the, you know, over the course of your career, that the, the perception of that kind of stuff has changed.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's literally, I would say only, I don't know if it's even nine years ago that we really started talking about it. Um, this is one of the reasons why I started the podcast, you know, after seeing a lot of the dark side, going to the funerals, you know, um, and realizing that we were just doing the same thing over and over again. And what's, what's, strange about the american fire services we're so siloed you know you've got a city and they won't talk which you you know you kind of illustrate in the show you know police and fire don't like each other city and county don't like each other and so therefore there's no knowledge exchange so everyone's kind of keeping themselves to themselves everyone's reinventing the wheel um but what i had it was unusual is i had a very gypsy view to the fire service i started in the miami area i trained in orlando Worked in Miami, then California for a few years, then Orange County, which is the county that Orlando's in, and then Reedy Creek, which protects Disney World, the last five. So it's a very, you know, 10,000 foot um, view on everything. But so, you know, when my generation went in and generations before, it was all about service and sacrifice, and courage and fitness and all the things. But then as you get into this point and they're like, wow, you know, people aren't doing well. You know, we're so we're so beat down and tired that a lot of times it's hard for us to even have that realization because all we're thinking about is the next call, the next shift, you know, my kid's birthday party, whatever it is. So really when I transitioned out five years ago, just to do this, to really try and be the voice for this profession and networking with people from all over the world, you realize this is a, this is a global issue. You know, the Australian firefighters, the British firefighters, they're all going through a lot of these. And so now it's like, now that we're talking about it, now we actually have to, act and not trying to be doom and gloom on this conversation but at the moment there's a hiring crisis too and i think it's because of of this people are now understanding the whole picture and unless we change it we aren't going to have people lining up to do this job anymore because even though it's the most incredible profession which is why i advocate years after taking the uniform off there are some things that are really detrimental to the the human and, and that person's family as well that we have to address to put it back to this incredible profession that, that we all adore.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, it, it feels like it's also, you know, yeah, trying to overcome the, the mindset of the old school, you know, uh, is a big, huge part of it, you know? Um, and, you know, I, I think, you know, in, just in talking to bill and, and, you know, when he was a rookie, yeah, like you said, it's, it's in the last 10 years, you know, and then in, in his thing, like from an administrative point of view, um, it, it, it's those issues that dominated his last few years. Um, because, um, uh, the perceptions were changing and, and things were coming out much more about, you know, how to deal with this stuff, you know? And, uh, I don't, I, I found it fascinating. And, you know, I, I, and that's kind of why we wanted to make an episode about it, but realized that it was difficult to navigate for us in terms of, you know, trying to keep it light and fun and <laughs> that kind of thing, you know. Um, but I don't know. Ho- hopefully, we can just provide some sort of uh, enjoyment for the firefighters, anyway. You know, just kind of a light uh, release, you know, for
0: for the guys. Well, question for you. I want to round off, but just one last kind of uh, lens from you, because you you do sit in, in a unique place at the moment. We have done a terrible job of storytelling what we do in this profession. I would say only the brave, you know, obviously backdraft ladder 49 and probably about the only ones out there that really reflect what we do. And even someone pointed out recently, which was a very good point, even the reality television shows that feature fire, the cardiac arrest always survives. You know, they always get the person out the car, you know? So again, it's kind of showing our, our successes only, um, yeah how do we as a profession do a better job of branding ourselves, of of educating the public on what we actually do?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I I think, you know, and I can only speak from the kind of this this kind of like, I guess, lighter perspective of it. Um, But it, it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier. It's like part of the nice thing about Tacoma, the TV show is showing these firefighters as real people. You know, it's showing them, not, you know, doing, doing the call or fighting the fire. It's, it's them in their, in their lives and how they're real people who have fun and have friends and family and that kind of stuff. I mean, I, you know, I I feel like, you know, that helps uh, the perception of firefighters in general. It's like, you know, the more we puncture the sense of like, these guys are invincible heroes and more that they are real people. I think it helps everybody. And And I think, you know, we try to do that in our very kind of light, you know, you know, non-messagey kind of way, you know. But I think that I think that helps the greater message in, in the sense that, um, you know, if people can connect with firefighters as humans, um, you know, I think that helps everyone's perceptions more. Uh, it helps push the world for forward, you know. Absolutely. I don't know. Is that uh, I don't know that's just kind of my perspective i guess
0: yeah well i mean i appreciate everyone's perspective i have people that are in literally branding and business and you know people in entertainment it doesn't matter just obviously the way we've been doing it isn't working very well so i'm open to all yeah. suggestions you know people but that don't might you, might turn you think
1: it's changing don't you think it's like um
0: it is progressing don't you think i mean it's getting it's better than it was don't you think yeah we're starting to i think as i live in the yeah. echo chamber so i look around and go oh everyone gets it and i forget that's because in the show everyone's coming on because they've they've brought solutions so um but yeah. i think as long as you start it's it's the same as to parallel it, it's the same with the division that we've seen forced upon the us from both sides the last 8 years um yeah. it's the 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 more that we can pull people back into you know the middle you know the more the paradigm shift that you can create so you're not trying to fix everyone straight away but if you can just grab one more department, one more firefighter and keep, you know, pushing the the improvements, then eventually there will be a tidal wave and it will sweep over the whole country and, and everyone will benefit.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think that's totally true is that the more you bring people um, who who disagree or have opposing opinions or whatever together for, you know the communal good. And, 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 you know, I think that's a good thing. It's like, you know, we've always joked about for us, even our comedy is very purple in the sense that, um, you know, we have, you know, our red state fans and we have our blue state fans, you know, and it's, you know, we have guys in uniform and we have stoners and we put them in the same room together and everyone has a big laugh. And I think that's a helpful thing, you know? And, um, I think it's probably the same thing for Tacoma. We have, you know, Fans on all spectrum of the political view, but they all can watch this show and have a good laugh at it. Um, And to me, it's that, those things that remind us that we can get past the divisiveness and and, enjoy each other despite our differences.
0: 100%. percent we got way more in common than we have difference. And most of the differences you can celebrate anyway, because they're unique. Yeah. Everyone can laugh at a fart joke. 100%. 100%. (laughs) yeah and even a laughing baby how can you not smile when a baby starts laughing you know what i mean that's sure. contagious yeah. so i you're you've got four seasons on uh netflix now what's well, true tv now all streaming on netflix um i'm assuming you're probably going to be creating more seasons of that talk to me about what's coming as far as tacoma and if you have anything else in the pipeline for broken lizard
1: i hope so i mean i hope uh i hope we get to make more you know we we We've made these four seasons and uh, I think, you know, whatever, not to get in the weeds of of the industry, uh, the company that we've worked for has been taken over four times and we've had four uh, hierarchy shifts. (laughs) And and each time, I think, I don't know, the new person cares a little bit less about us. So, um, you know, we've been kind of overcoming that, but luckily we've been doing the seasons and, and then this Netflix thing gives us a lot of good exposure. So hopefully all that will lead to us making more Tacomas because like I said, we got a stack of more of firefighter stories um, that we want to tell. And um, hopefully we'll get that opportunity. Um, uh, we'll see how this Netflix thing shakes out. And then um, at the same time right now, we're, um, we're writing super troopers three. Um, and um, we uh, 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 hopefully I would imagine maybe later this year, we'll try to ch- shoot that. It's weird because, you know, for those who don't know, we, we're coming out of these strikes. You know, the industry has been kind of uh, had legs chopped out of it by these strikes that happened last year. And we, we're just coming out of it in a few months. So it's a weird landscape where people are trying to figure out what's still alive, what's dead, what's what can happen, how we can move forward, how the world has changed. Um, but Super Trooper 3 seems to be on track for us to be able to do that. That's kind of the next big broken lizard project. Um and then, yeah, Steve and I uh, are, st- are selling some other shows. You know, we, we, um, we've we been working on a couple of things. We've been working on a military show, actually, Steve and I, uh, based on a lot of stories and a lot of friends we've made in the military, um, based on, you know, guys who like our stuff. And so we've, we've been working on that. And um, and um, we've been doing this podcast. We've been doing this companion podcast, Talk Coma. Talk um, it's a video podcast we've been doing, um, which is on YouTube. And... Um, I don't know we're trying to stay we're trying to stay busy you know i'd love to make more tacomas that's that's kind of the big thing
0: now the podcast Tacoma. you advise people watch an episode then listen to the podcast
1: yeah i think so yeah it's funny like what happened was uh, uh a couple of years ago after we did season two it was it was COVID. it was you know the pandemic and everything shut down and um and our network true tv and t and tbs they had a lot of sports that they lost they had basketball and 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 uh, you know they had march madness they had baseball and all these things got lost and so uh you know we were in some meeting with some executives and they were kind of lamenting the fact they had nothing to put on the air and we said well you know we've been thinking about this uh, companion show called Tacoma where we talk about the episode you know and they kind of laughed at us like it was the dumbest thing in the world and then about half an hour later they called us up and said were you guys serious about that uh and we said, yeah, we were very serious. And they said, okay, let's do it. And so uh, after season two, uh, we did a, a companion piece, you know, like they do for like Walking Dead or whatever. And and we put it right on after the episodes. And people loved it because it was like we would tell real stories. We would have, um, you know, we had cousin Bill on. We would have, all you know, guests on. And they would talk about, you know, the firefighter stuff. We had – um uh, we found out one of our fans was, uh, Stipe Miocic, the, the, the UFC champion, who's a firefighter in, in Ohio. We had him on and, uh, it was a fun thing. And so we decided we would do it again at the end of the season. And then it got a little bit derailed by the strike. And so now, um, we've got it back up and running again. So it's a thing that people kind of liked in the past and we brought it back. So, so it's a video podcast that people can find on YouTube and, um, it's a lot of fun. We have guests and, it's a lot of me and Lemmy making fun of each other is what it comes down to. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so we got that. And then, yeah, our, we got our movie Quasi, which is still on Hulu, too. That's still kicking around on Hulu. Uh, if people haven't seen that, check that out. That's a little bit of a departure. It's a medieval period piece. <laughs> With a chiropractic, so, you
0: know, chiropractic twist to it. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, there's, we got a lot of stuff in the hopper. We're trying to stay busy. Brilliant. Well, I want to throw some quick closing questions at you before I let you go. If that's okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. First one, is there a book or are there books that you love to recommend? It can be related to our discussion today or completely unrelated
1: books that I love to recommend. Oh my gosh.
0: Um,
1: I'm terrible. I'm terrible reading. My, my daughters keep giving me books to read and I've been trying to, to do a good job at that. Uh, they read all these fantasy books now. Um, but I try to get them to read the Stephen King books. I, you know, I was always a big fan of those when I was a kid, and um, and then we compare notes. They they think all oh, the books that I have read were outdated. You know, there's a there's better stuff these days. You know, um, but I don't know. I, I used
0: to read a lot of scripts, man. <laughs> <laughs> have you read his book on writing? Because I read that right before I started my second one.
1: I read I read it long ago. Yeah, I read it long ago. Yeah, but like that guy. Wakes up at like 5 a.m. and he writes like for six or seven hours or whatever every single day. And I'm like, oh my God,
0: God, if I could do that. Yeah, I can't. I would have 100 books published, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it took me, I don't know, a long, like two years to write my first one. And I'm think about the year and a half mark of writing my second. So clearly not yeah, Stephen I, King.
1: <laughs> I end up reading just biographies. My kids can't understand it. Like I just read biographies of people. like. I just finished a, a, a biography of John Bonham, you know, the drummer for Led Zeppelin, called Beast, which was awesome. <laughs> that's an and amazing that, story. That, I, that's a, yeah, and my kids are like, what do you read biographies for? You know? I was like, I don't know. Maybe because I'm old. I don't
0: know. Yeah, they say truth is stranger than friction a lot of times. So that's why I love this format. You know, People's real lives are, are incredible. You know?
1: Oh, I know. You know. That's what we say. It's like the stories that we get for firefighters, we couldn't possibly make them up. You know what I mean? The real things are just,
0: you couldn't possibly make them up. Absolutely. Well, we've talked about obviously all, all the films that you guys have made. Are there films or documentaries that you love to recommend?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I I love, uh, I love a good comedy movie. I love a good action movie though. I'm always a good action movie guy. Like, let me, I will joke about that. Um, you know, uh, you know, and you run through like the Schwarzenegger, um, and you know, the Schwarzenegger resume. <laughs> we like we like to have a good laugh about that. But I and I went to see look, you know, I don't claim to be very sophisticated, but I went and saw Die Hard in the movie theater two weeks ago again. And god damn, I love that movie. <laughs> so I'm a simple pleasure guy, you know. I like I like a good action movie.
0: Brilliant. What about guests? Is there a person that you recommend to come on this show? to speak to the first responders, military, and associated professions of the world?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, well, whatever. I know I've been talking about a lot, but Cousin Bill is a guy who is a great uh, guy to chat with. I mean, he has a zillion stories. He's got, you know, a, a wealth of, of background in this world. I think, you know, he, he, he's well-versed in uh, the issues, you know, that 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 firefighters face these days. He's also running for office right now. He's running for state representative in my in my dad. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he's going to get a bigger voice. Um, but he's a great guy, you know, to to chat with about these things, I think. Um, and then, you know, we had Stepe on. I don't know if you've ever met Stipe before, but he's such an amazing story. You know, I'm, uh, we had him on our podcast. And here's a guy who's the UFC heavyweight champion of the world, and yet he's you know, scrubbing toilets as a probie, uh, you know, in, in the fire department. Um, and, you know, the, he has great stories about, you know, they made him wear his heavyweight belt while he scrubbed toilets. <laughs> and I, I, I don't know. I just, the, the marrying of those two worlds was just great and it inspired us to write an episode where Stepe comes to visit our station. And we shot that in the second season. Um and um or the third season and um that was a blast. He's a he's a great he's a great guy to have on as a guest.
0: Yeah, I um, I've tried. Sadly, um, yeah, there's have- a lot of these people. There's the person between you and them. I haven't had very much. I'm just gonna leave it there. I haven't had very much. And it was like over a three year period <laughs> this happened. So Stepa, if you're listening, if you yourself want to come on, the the invitation is there. But uh, I've you know. Sadly, I tried and tried and tried, but but yeah, sure. but, I mean, I love. I I'm a martial artist myself, so I've I watched him, okay. you know, go all the way up the ladder, and um, these he's amazing, and I I I can see the video of him scrubbing the toilets and the humility it takes to be at an absolute pinnacle in one thing and have the humility to be a probie in another area yeah. where you're actually you know service. Um, I think he's phenomenal. So yeah, maybe he's one. A, he's a
1: great. Guy. He was uh just a charming, nice fellow. He we had a one incident where um. He, we were shooting a scene uh, where he punches um, Gabe Hogan, who plays the firefighter, Ike Crystal, and he punches him. And whatever, we had set it up so he wouldn't really punch him, you know, the fake punch and whatever. And we're shooting the scene, and um, he goes to swing at Gabe and he caught him. And Gabe goes down, you know, because Stepe's hands are like the size of my head, like when you see them, you know. And he just caught him with a finger, like across the face or whatever. And, and Gabe went down like a ton of bricks and Steve was like, Oh my God. And we have it on camera. He's like, Oh my God, I hit him. I'm so sorry. I hit him. And he felt so terrible (laughs) and Gabe was fine, but it was like this moment of like, Oh my God, his life flashed in four of his, in front of his eyes (laughs) as Steve Bay's fist is coming at him and grazes his face. You know, Uh, that was great. That was a great moment. And it was fun. It was fun to have Steve Bay on. I'll
0: see. I mean, I got, you know, I don't know. I don't know what kind of ends I have with Steve anymore. I'll put in the good word for you, man. That'd be great. Like I said, the invitation has been there for a long time, but uh, yeah, I know, I know the for the initial time he was working with someone doing who they were doing all this professional stuff. And I know they parted ways and there was an issue with lack of communication. So um, it, he may never have heard the invitation himself. So yes, that would be phenomenal if you were able to help. Thank you. Okay, Okay. see what I can do. Brilliant. All right, <laughs> well, then the last question before we make sure oh, everyone knows, make sure <laughs> okay. knows where to find you. What do you do to decompress when you're not you know, on stage and doing all these films and shows?
1: Uh, it's funny. I, I've just had this argument with my, my kids. My kids are... Um, uh, they, age, they range from like age 15 to 20 right now. And they've asked me that question because they... <laughs> Because I, I don't know, I just work, you know, like uh, over the last few days, like Like we went uh, to the East Coast for, for the holidays and they went skiing and stuff. And while they went skiing, I would sit in the uh, lounge or whatever or at home and I would just be working and editing and whatever. So, um, but I don't know, I, I, I just, I like to hang out with my family, you know, that's probably the biggest thing. You know, we watch movies or we go, you know, whatever, hiking and that kind of stuff, you know, it's like... What, you know, whatever time I could spend with the family, uh, that's really my decompression time. Um, you know, I love to watch movies and, and TV, but then sometimes I feel like I'm doing it, you know, because of work, you know, like I feel like I'm, you know, researching or whatever it is. And so, you know, sometimes it doesn't quite work out, but yeah, just hanging out with the family is, is, is really my decompression time. Beautiful.
0: Well, the entire, you know, four series now are in uh, Netflix. So yeah. that's where they can find Tacoma FD. Where are the best places for people to find all your other work and reach out to you, whether it's social media or anywhere that, any other area?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, Netflix. You can just stream like crazy if you want to. It's great. And then, uh, yeah, our latest movie's on Hulu. Quasi, uh, that's a Broken Lizard movie and um, about uh, about Quasimodo, <laughs> and. Uh, and then I think all the other ones are, you know, on the, on the basic streamers and stuff. Super Troopers and Beer Fest and Club Dread. And people can check that stuff out. and Salmon, another movie we made. Um, and then uh, for me, I'm at Heffernan Rules. I think on pretty much everything. Uh, Heffernan Rules on Twitter. Heffernan Rules on Instagram. Um, you know, we have Lemmy Heffernan uh, as our YouTube page. and um, But I think those are, you know, those are the handles that people... People can hit me on it. I'm,
0: t- I'm not a great social media guy. Are you a good social media guy? I repost a lot of videos of e- either first responder stuff or kindness and compassion. I try and put a lot of the, yep. the good stuff out there. Me personally, I don't look at social media apart from to find those videos. So I, yeah, I yeah. would say you know outwardly, yes, but inwardly, no, because I'm, I'm fully aware of how those things could just suck you in. So I try and leave my phone as far away from me as I can.
1: And I feel like I could be better at it, but whatever.
0: But sometimes we get some people to help us out with that shit. <laughs> some young kid who knows what he's doing. Yeah, exactly. Understands the algorithms and content and all those other yeah. words. So I have no idea what they mean. Well, yes. Kevin, I want to thank you so much. Firstly, for, you know, just, just coming on full stop. But secondly, again, for this unique perspective that you have, I mean, to do the comedy, you know, film when it came to law enforcement, and now you're doing the show coming you know, from the firefighter perspective. <sighs> um these are all as i said firehouse favorites hands down i'm sure it's the same with law enforcement but they are as you said also um humanizing the men and women in uniform because we do get we do become a little two-dimensional not only to the public but to ourselves as well so i want to thank you so much not only for your work and what you've done for our professions but also for coming on the behind the shield podcast today
1: thanks man i mean that that's great and and uh congratulations on you know getting that message out you know i think that's an important message that you're doing there so but thank you i mean i you know we like to think of ourselves as court jesters so you know you know we just kind of try to make people laugh you know so uh thanks for having me on